Hi, welcome to the fifth episode of Skipping 9 to 5. I'm your host, Diana. And in this week's episode, I'm very excited to sit down with Chez and Matt and share their inspiring journey, their failures, their learnings, the principle that they follow in growing their business. They are an accidental entrepreneurs who at their mid-twenties have already figured out what their niche is, their passion, what they're good at, and made a whooping $1.5 million from their dropshipping or e-commerce business. They've inspired me, as well as the half a million people who have watched their video on Facebook titled From Broke to Millionaires, posted on Drew Binsky's page. Let's discover how they're able to make it in the dropshipping industry and of course, their tips and tricks on how to be successful in achieving the first million we've all ever dreamed of. Let's welcome Jess and Matt. Hi! Hey, hey. how's it going? Very good. How are you guys? Doing great. Good, good. I heard that you're going to Phuket. Phuket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In two days. In two days. Are you excited? Yeah, going to get away from the pollution. From the pollution in Bangkok. <laughs> Sunny, smoggy Bangkok. Yeah. Going to be nice and cool. So after this, I heard that you're also planning to moving to Bali. Yep. Why are you leaving us? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, we want to also ch- just change the scenery. We've been in Bangkok for a while now. And yeah, but eight, eight months now. And, you're eight uh, months now. We have some friends that are in Bali and we plan on... Uh, <laughs> visiting them there and hoping to meet some other people that are also doing similar um, online work as us, like through e-commerce and brand building and whatnot, and Facebook advertising. Wow, that's amazing. So I heard that it's a one-way ticket. Yeah, we just, we thought Bali might be a potential, like, a new location for us to settle down. Uh, Because a lot of our friends have actually left Bangkok and... Yeah, Bali seems like a, a good place, but we'll see if we come back or not. I wonder whose idea is moving to Bali. <laughs> was it yours? You, your yeah, idea? It was, or it was, it was yours. Oh, that's amazing. I've heard that like the food in Bali, especially in the expat district, is really amazing. You can find these like amazing vegetarian food or healthy food compared to... Well, Bangkok, we have a lot of options too, but it's kind of like spread out everywhere. While in Bali, just like, grab a motorcycle and you have these spots yeah. you know it's it's amazing yeah like in in bangkok you get healthy food but the one thing that's been annoying me lately is that the open at like 11 a.m so if i wake up early in the morning and i want to eat something nothing open on food panda or like nothing's open like around it's just all the junk places so it's like i have to wait until 11 a.m to find a salad place but i think in bali stuff is just open like because there's such demand because people just surf in the morning at like 7 a.m they grab like you know archive ball you know <laughs> i think that's things. also the reason why 7-eleven is a booming business here because they're 24 right, 7 right. if you're hungry you just go something yeah, unhealthy yeah. and go to the yeah, gym yeah, yeah. Yeah. at 12 <laughs> <laughs> i'm so happy that you guys are here so you know just to introduce you to all the listeners you Jess is uh from london Oh, well, I'm actually from Birmingham, but let's just say London. And you, Mac, you're from? Canada. Sunny Canada. Canada. No, I'm joking. Cold Canada. Cold Canada. How many degrees is it in Canada right now? 
think it's teetering from like minus twenty to like minus thirty. Oh my god. (laughs) So if you're not in Bangkok right now and if you're in Canada, what do you think Mac is doing right now? I'd be probably uh, curled up in a ball somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Eating some cereals during lunchtime. Really happy that you guys are here, that you've allotted some time to join me on my podcast. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. So this show is more about like people from the digital nomad space or people working remotely so you guys are in your mid-20s and you've figured out a lot of stuff this drop shipping business this e-commerce business people think drop shipping is easy because there's really no course about drop shipping could you tell the listeners about what you do why you're here why did you choose working remotely or why did you quit nine to five your nine to five job if ever you had one before yeah, so basically back in 2015, 2016, I was like fresh out of high school. I'm only 22 now. And I started learning about, um, well, basically I, I was an accidental entrepreneur, I'd say. Basically, I didn't know what I wanted to do in university. And I stumbled across this book called The Millionaire Fast Lane. And when I read that book, it like switched my mindset from uh, basically wanting to get into a job long-term because that's what my parents pushed me was to get a, a long-term job and then you retire when you're older which the author of the millionaire fast lane calls the slow lane instead uh he pushes forward this idea of the fast lane where there's people using the internet to basically explode their wealth and uh it's basically like a shortcut and th- instead of basically waiting till you're old to be rich you get to be rich while you're young kind of thing so I first read that book, and um, that completely changed my mindset when it came to uh, how I wanted to approach my life, and I realized I need to get into business online, so I joined that forum. They have a forum where all community members can talk with each other and share ideas on how to start and grow a business, and it was from that forum that I decided to become a copywriter, which is where you write uh, basically advertisements. It's basically sales in print. So you're just trying to sell someone using the written word kind of thing. And it has to do with building ads, uh, writing the content on websites, and so on. So I started learning how to do that, but I was still basically taking a victory lap in high school. That's where you just stay another year in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I still didn't really take action on on the whole... Uh, millionaire fast lane lifestyle of working and growing a business so I decided to actually go to university because my parents kept pushing you need to go to university they would, <laughs> it's like what society is pushing all the kids right now to like finish their unis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically like tricked myself into thinking that I okay maybe I do need a degree so I said okay I'll just try it out so I tried one year in university and basically, my last job before entering university was landscaping. So I just, I just did like you've, labor okay. work. So you've earned $1.5 million from the drop shipping e-commerce business. Yep. So the book that you've read a long time ago really helped you to where you are now. Yeah, it basically set me on the right path to becoming an entrepreneur. And uh, it exposed me sort of to the world of digital nomadism that people were going to Bali uh, Chiang Mai and growing their 
businesses well being abroad. And they also talked about the four hour work week and whatnot. Oh yeah, Tim Ferris. Yeah. Have you have you read about the four hour work week? I didn't finish it. I didn't oh finish it, but I did read bits of it. So it kinda contributed. <laughs> contribute you know there's a contribution yeah i never actually read the four hour work week i've just listened to uh his podcast tim ferris's podcast but um yeah basically through this forum the kind of mindset they're pushing is not like this get rich easy it's more about uh you put in a lot of work to get rich quicker than if you were to get into like a corporate job so it's it's not about like um working a couple hours a week and then you get this dream business that's earning millions of dollars is about putting in a lot of work, mm-hmm. providing a lot of value to your customers, and then as a result of keeping your customers happy, you become rich by doing that. Well, it's it's like a slow gratification, sort of. Yeah. Like, you take your time. You take your time to build something great. You take your time to, like, brew it in your head before you actually do something because we always tend to rush things yeah how about you jess so um yeah like mac i was also like quote unquote accidental entrepreneur um back when i was at uni i, I really did try hard to, <laughs> to get one of the typical jobs that my dad would want me to do like the problem is i'm super lazy so it's like <laughs> i opened the, the page for that lawyer internship i'm like screw this <laughs> Like, I go through a few questions. I just can't bring myself to do it. And um, same goes for, like, other occupations that my dad would have, quote-unquote, approved of more, you know? Um, so, so part of me did really did want that kind of 9-5 job, and mm. I didn't see any, any problem with it. But I kind of stumbled upon this whole entrepreneur thing really indirectly because when I graduated, I actually tried to get a graduate job, but no one, no one would hire me, so it's like, well... Then I just worked for myself. And then that actually ended up becoming like a blessing in disguise because, um, I mean, during the time as well, living at home, there was a lot of, um, I don't know, pain, I guess, because I had a curfew. I was living with, living with my parents after I graduated. So you can imagine the conflict between, you know, someone who's had freedom at uni, because in England we, we moved to a different city um, when we go to uni. But then after graduation, I moved back home. So I had a curfew at like 12am, the parents were like, I'm a After case. graduation? Yeah, I was like wow. 23, yeah, exactly. I was like, maybe 22, and um, there's pressure as well, career pressure, etc. Um, actually, one thing is that I actually was meant to go to Japan straight after graduation, but I broke my ankle, so I ended up staying back in England. <laughs> and like, <laughs> so at, at the start it was um, pretty cool, because I was like, yeah parents looking after me I'm really grateful for them and in a way like they didn't really put pressure on me career-wise but then as soon as the cast came off they're like <laughs> putting more pressure on me like oh now you're gonna find a job etc but anyway I digress so um there was the pain of being at home which just led me to want to leave and get a one-way ticket to Chiang Mai because I heard there's other digital nomads out there and um I know we mentioned um Tim Ferriss's book earlier I didn't read the whole book, but that book gave me an idea that other people were doing that out there. So it, it kind of, yeah, it gave me like the first step towards, you know, this whole lifestyle. And um, I was doing YouTube at the time, like casually after I broke my ankle. Actually, maybe further back as well, when I was doing my year abroad in Spain, I started doing it then. So then I learned some like casual video editing skills. And um, so when I wanted to work for myself, that was kind of the only skill I had. <laughs> 
I could have done copywriting like math, but um, I just got into that. And Growing up with an Asian parent, they think that after you graduate, you get a job, you get married, this whole thing. How did you explain to your parents that, you know what, I'm really not made for a corporate job? I tried, but really, it's not for me. How did you explain that? Well, no one wanted to hire me anyway. <laughs> I'm joking. Well, like, I didn't even try that much. I'm like super lazy. <laughs> but like the funny thing is, I didn't even explain to them. I'm like super bad. So like I, I literally told them a week before I was going. I just said I'm going. I didn't really advise this. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, my most kind of rebellious like part of my like life so far, I guess. But I really needed that. Like I was, it was a real like now or never situation. And um, at that time, they were really shocked, of course, and uh, we argued, obviously, when I mentioned it so last minute, but but now, I mean, I've come full circle and we can understand each other more. Um, yeah, so so things are fine now, but <laughs> I, I didn't expect but it. You guys, what were you thinking before getting that into crazy jump or what we call leap of faith? What, what do you feel that time? Do you feel like, oh my God, you feel so excited? scared so scared. scared like i filmed it on youtube like, i was so scared because i landed in bangkok and i was like shit i could do anything with, a, with my life right now it was so scary and i didn't have a lot of money i didn't save of anything i like overdraft like a few grand and like i just had like maybe from freelancing a few hundred or something like yeah for me it was you scary. were scared yeah. and you yeah so for me i was basically at this point i dropped out of university i finished my first year of university uh started working on a site called Upwork, it's like a freelance platform, Yeah. and that's what I was using to get clients, and I used that to actually generate like my first 500 bucks, and then I bought a new computer with that money, because my old computer basically died on me, and then <laughs> I eventually got into Facebook ads, running Facebook ads for clients, and at this point I was generating enough uh, income, then I was like, okay, I need to get out of my parents' house, but... In Canada, the living costs are extremely high. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to move to Toronto, which is like an hour from where I'm from. I'm going to have to move somewhere where where it's warm. <laughs> well, I don't have to, but I wanted to. <laughs> move somewhere where it's warm and so, so that I'm in a good mood because I noticed in the summertime when I'm working, I work better because I'm in a better mood from like the vitamin D. And then secondly, I needed to afford it, so... Those two things meant Thailand for me, so and I said. Girls as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit of that. I don't think I've had much problem on that front. But, uh... <laughs> you just got a smack. <laughs> so since I was working from home already, my pa I was still living at home. My parents were always like trying to get me to do tasks around the house, and I felt it really distracting to do my work. So I basically. Um, decided to leave and I told them about it. I kind of delayed it a few months and finally I was like, okay, I just need to book the ticket. And I booked it in February of 2017. And then I ended up in Bangkok. And I was, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I was going to travel around, I don't know, maybe work on the business. Were you saving a lot before you, before you like take that leap of faith that, oh, I'm going to go to Bangkok and basically do what i really love so did you have a lot of savings because people also like talk about that yeah so, so i actually when i first came to thailand i did save up like six grand working with my clients and then um because my parents were always on my back like ah oh, 
Thailand's dangerous. You need to have this amount of money or else you're not going to be able to live there. What's the visa situation? They're like oh. spitting out all their fears about what they think traveling around the world is because they never have really done it themselves, mm-hmm. which I can't really blame them for. But yeah, so I, I actually had like six, six grand saved up and then I moved to Thailand with that. Do you think that people working in an office is less happier compared to people who has given their freedom to work remotely or to work anywhere? So do you feel that we're more happier? Well, I feel that people that are in nine to five jobs, um, because they have such a strict schedule, um, they might not have time to go to the gym or they say they don't have time to go to the gym. And that can also lead to an unhealthier, unhappier life. Not having a good diet, not having a good routine at the gym, not exercising. This can all lead to um, basically, yeah, just a bad mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can help you think more negatively. Uh, and then not being in control of, of your own schedule can, can make you feel like you're kind of like handcuffed mm-hmm. and that you don't have any uh, freedom or control over your life. So I feel like that will be a contributing factor to making you unhappy. So not not only being in an office or being remote, it's just being in control of what you do every day. I think that's what will make you happy. That's that's really good. You guys, you don't even have to work your ass off for, for a nine to five job to get the first million dollars. Like, can you explain to us how did you do it? What was the hardships, the struggles, the challenges? And did you ever fight as a couple with a business together? How do you manage it? I'm really curious. Uh, so, so at this point, when I was in Thailand, I didn't meet up with uh, Jess yet. I, I was already working kind of on different e-commerce businesses and before I actually came to Thailand I tried to send a bunch of product to Amazon to get that selling so I invested like a few grand into that and I didn't actually see a return I only broke even off that product like a year later oh. so I made the mistake of like not testing the product so that was like probably one of the first challenges I would face I basically ran out of cash in Thailand by the time it was like June or yeah around May or June because I stopped working with my client and I was actually uh, getting paid by them so they owed me cash so I was down to like my last couple hundred bucks and at this point I already met other guys doing e-commerce so I took advice from them Mm -hmm. and from there I scaled uh, the business up to around 800k wow 800,000 for that's a span of how many months are we talking about this was basically from uh, august to around uh, february august to february yeah wow of 2018 so basically it was just so recent Um, what were you feeling when you were like oh you know what a few years back i was so broke and i couldn't figure out my life but I've met the right people because, you know, meeting the right people really affects whatever you will be in your future. I think that connections are very hard to find, but if you have a very good connection, if you found the right connection or the right people to network with, I think that has a lot of effect. Would you agree? uh, That's for sure. And after 
basically, I was probably like one or two years into trying multiple different things online, mm-hmm. and just like failing, not staying consistent with anything, to finally something was starting to work, and that, that started to make me feel like, like really good, like I thought I was gonna, this is it, this is like my golden ticket to like a billion dollar company or multi-million dollar company, and then um, I guess I got a bit egotistical during this time period, I thought that nothing can go wrong in business, I'm the greatest at business, <laughs> you know, like, I thought, I'm the greatest I'm marketer, the I'm the greatest marketer that ever existed, <laughs> this kind of thoughts were, like, flowing through my head at the time, and then I, I basically thought that, okay, the product I was selling was not that good, I had a lot of complaints from customers, mm-hmm. so I basically tried to fix that problem because mm-hmm. I've read different books lean startup you have to listen to your customers get feedback from them then you mm-hmm. tweak your product and then that's how you serve them well at this time I didn't have my finances all together so I didn't really know how much profit I was pulling in how much cash flow I had mm-hmm. etc so I I wanted to create a better version of that product and I invested a bunch of money in inventory and then I didn't realize that the revenue I was bringing in mm-hmm. wasn't actually all my profit. It was just, uh, it, 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 some of it was supposed to be used for cost of goods. And oh. then I basically overspent on the inventory to the point where I couldn't fulfill a bunch of these orders for other products I was selling. And then it just ended up in like a, a nightmare where I was playing catch up. So you were at the tender age of 21. You're slowly figuring things out. You have a lot of, we call it learnings, failures and learnings. And did you have any mentor? Because, you know, a lot of people in their 20s doesn't even know how to think straight because we there's a lot of things going on in our mind of what to do. How do you focus? How do you make sure that you're in one common ground with all the decisions that you make for your business? Right. So usually at the beginning of each day, we sit down and we plan the day. So... We look at everything that's on our table, like problems, like fires we have to put out, uh, maybe people we need to hire for certain repetitive tasks so that we can help grow the business further, or basically stuff with the ads. Mm -hmm. So we use advertisements to basically get sales for a business. So then we, we look at what we need to do for the ads, what we need to do on the operational and administrative side and then researching and so on. And then we basically look at what is actually the most important thing. What's uh, what's the one thing that's gonna like move us forward? So it in there's it's called the Pareto Principle, which is like the 80-20. Mm-hmm. It's in plenty of books, podcasts, and whatnot. They talk about how 80% of your results come from like the 20% of what you're actually doing. Yes. And, that, and basically before me and Jess got together, we started working, I was just like switching, putting on like so many different hats. I was like customer service and I was jumping to logistics and I'd be jumping into the marketing and mm-hmm. then I didn't, I wasn't focusing on the the 20% that was bringing all my results. So that was also another problem that came up during this period. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Jess came along, then we started to like focus more on the 80-20. That's how we eventually we're able to grow it to 1.5 million in sales. Wow. I just want to go back to uh, the working dynamics, um, how I mentioned the 80-20 principle, which is, <clears throat> so I'm like super lazy, as I mentioned earlier, but 
somehow it works with us too because he's super hard working and uh we it find balances a, it out yeah we find a middle ground because i always want to do less work like, i want to get the same results but less work so so then mac was talking about how you know after we started working together he started to focus on the 80 20 so he was telling me before how he was doing customer service for like x hours a day whereas that shouldn't be the task of a, a ceo you know what i mean and then afterwards, when we started working together, we're focusing more on the ads, on the products, on like launching, like scaling higher budgets, whatever. Um, so there's that, and then um, we're also like opposites in terms of I'm more of the creative like person, and then Mark is he's more of the stoic, logical person, I guess. So I would do the creatives, and then he would do all the ads or whatever like mm-hmm. we, we have different skills that we bring together um and in terms of like coordinating or disagreements yeah, we might have disagreements on like um what to do moving forward so like we just have we just talk it out really but usually it's just like because we're just different people which can work at times but sometimes I like for me i'm super lazy so like i just trying to think of like oh what's the one thing i can do to get the same result and mac might disagree and say well no because that's gonna have this it's it's more of a personality thing, and um, at the end of the day, like everything's fine. Like we know that it's just some kind of like, like bickering or whatever. It's not like anything serious. We managed to reconcile after. But um, if you would have told me, oh, would you work and be in a relationship with someone at the same time? I would have been like, no, that's too much. You need space. Yeah. <laughs> How did you invite each other to? Hey, you know what? Let's work together. Let's do something great together. How did you do that? How were you okay with that? How did you find each other to working together? It was just uh, accidental. Like <laughs> we knew we knew each other in Chiang Mai, and then we left. Well, I left uh, to Bali for burning season, and Mac he went to the islands, and uh, we happened to meet again in Bangkok. Um, and I mean, I wasn't asking to join them. I just did a video, Facebook video for Mac, and uh, he ended up liking it, and then. Ended up just like and he liked you too, <laughs> and then ended up working for him. It was it was so it was so like smooth. It's like I didn't even ask for like anything. I just tried to try to provide value and try to be helpful, and then it was like oh, and and now I'm like working together. He's and like, <laughs> I think um, I like the girl who created the video more than the video. Yeah, no. <laughs> But back then, there was another friend, uh, Jay, who we worked with, who like, helped us out a lot during that stage, um, who's not working with us anymore. But but yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's trickier working with friends and family for some reason. I think in a couple, it's different because you really can just like say anything, you know, and everything just gets solved. But with friends and family, I feel like there's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of harder to there's deal with. There's a wall, like, yeah. you can't say this because it, you're going to hurt their feelings. Yeah, yeah. You can't say this because... He might get mad at me. Like, yeah. he would think of me in a different way. Yeah. So, but for a couple, it works because, like, you know what? I hate what you did. I yeah. hate what you did. But, you know, that's okay. We'll work it out. You can say a lot of stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you compromise. I think that's the word. Yeah. You compromise. Yeah, if anything, sure. it's better to work in a couple than family and friends. So, let's talk about the drop shipping or the e-commerce. What are your... uh? sacrifices or challenges with a business itself like aside from having a hard time looking for that perfect product to sell the logistics side the customer service side what are the challenges that you're facing yeah so 
At the moment, our primary source of uh, revenue normally comes from Facebook. So if anything goes wrong with like the Facebook account, for example, then basically our tap is completely shut off and our well is dry, so to speak. So if anything happens to the Facebook account, then that can cause serious problems, for example. That's, that's currently one of the challenges we're facing. So we're trying to expand to other traffic sources, mm -hmm. like Snapchat ads, Google ads, and Bing ads, for example, so that the sales are more diversified in case like you get slapped by Facebook yeah. and all your revenue is gone. So how does the Facebook algorithm affect your business or the, the dropshipping Facebook ads that you have? Does it affect anything? Because a lot of content creators, it really did affect them with the Facebook algorithm change. Yeah, so basically Facebook's favoring more of the paid side of Facebook because... Oh, so that's good for you guys. Yeah, yeah. But if you violate their policies, for example, and you could like accidentally violate their policies without knowing, like something that seems so simple might trigger a warning in their system and then you're automatically banned and then your revenues turn off until you can appeal it and get unbanned so that that's problematic but in terms of like the algorithm it's it's more about testing you have to test which ads work which ads don't and then you scale the ones that do work and kill the ones that don't kind of thing what are the pros and cons of drop shipping or e-commerce so with dropshipping, uh, the traditional model that I used to use was basically uh, we go to AliExpress and you just you find a product that you think will do well, you launch it on Facebook, and then you start fulfilling it through AliExpress. Well, a ton of the problems that might pop up is the quality is terrible, the shipping time is like way too long, it's not branded, it comes like Chinese packaging, mm -hmm. and the customers are like freaking out, and then you get a bad uh, Facebook page feedback score so if if your page feedback score is bad on facebook then they can basically stop you from advertising and ban you so basically oh. if the customer experience is bad they can ban you from facebook oh my god yeah so which is why we've switched to more of a private label uh, we got our supplier to produce um items with our own branded stuff on it and mm -hmm. uh yeah and then they can ship it quicker using different shipping methods so please explain to me how drop shipping works so you buy something from aliexpress and then you there's a distributor you're not the distributor you're you're on the business side of it the marketing side of it of the product right yeah. so you buy something from aliexpress and then you connect with a distributor so the, the cart we use is called Shopify. It's basically like an e-commerce platform, which allows you to host your website, capture your orders, and um, basically tr track and manage all those orders mm -hmm. in the back end of the software. And basically when an order comes in, it pops into your Shopify uh, dashboard, and they have different apps and whatnot, like Dropify, Overlo, uh, and there's other apps, suppliers, sometimes have their own apps now and basically it synchronizes with those apps and then you place the order on the supplier's website or on AliExpress and the supplier ships it they feed you the tracking information either one by one mm -hmm. or like a spreadsheet and um, yeah then you just fulfill the orders and the customer receives a notification that their order is being shipped 
Mm-hmm. And then however long your shipping time is, they receive the order. Wow. I can't process that in my brain right now. <laughs> so, okay, I always shop online. And I just found out AliExpress like the other day. Literally, I just found it out. So what's, what is the difference between just me going to AliExpress and buy things that I want from there compared, compared to the whole dropshipping business that you have? Because yeah. you need to create a landing page, right? Landing page and all the ads that you need to do? Yeah. So what's the difference between both? Yeah, so... so... Many people, they don't actually know about AliExpress, and um, they're... Which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. And uh, people living in the U.S., they they really only shop on, like, Amazon, or they think you're an American company. They, they have no idea where these products are actually coming from. I was really scared to buy from AliExpress because first, I don't... I think that... I actually asked her, does it really arrive? Because yeah. I saw a picture on 9gag, which... A guy said something like, oh, AliExpress said that, show me a photo that the package didn't arrive. Yeah. Same photo. <laughs> you saw that? Yeah, yeah I saw yeah. that one. Yeah. The guy's hands empty. Yeah, his hands empty. It didn't yeah. arrive. If you look at reviews on AliExpress, they have like a lot of bad reviews of people not receiving their orders. That's usually because of like the bad sellers, yeah. like the mm-hmm. bad actors on the platform, which is like scam Westerners oh. and whatnot, and they don't ship out the items. Or it could be like an operational mistake by them where they, they can't maintain the orders mm-hmm. and um, they just forget about yours or they step over it, for example. But um, for the most part, I think it, it does arrive. And if if it doesn't arrive, then we just refund the customer or send mm-hmm. them a new one. So, so you're the gateway of the from customer to the wholesale supplier, the is well, it it's it's more or less like they we we brand the site so that they they're buying off us and then we ship out this product and sometimes mm. we label the product so it is ours basically it it is a brand you can brand a dropshipping store oh wow but um they have no idea about the supply chain side What's chain side for example um no, no one cares about having a third part party logistics like for example Nike they don't use their own warehouses they have another provider that ships out their stuff for them they don't oh, care really? who's really yeah so oh. so normally they, they don't care where it's coming from as long as they get it in time and it's good quality and it's the brand that they bought it from kind of so yeah it's it's more of like an impulse buy on facebook just you edit videos for Facebook ads. Where where is all this creativity comes from? Because it needs to be really catchy for Facebook. Right. Yeah. We just have to experiment and just use different backgrounds, different colors. I mean, there's no like set formula. It's like it can like one thing can take off, and it and we thought it wasn't going to because it looked yeah and not that interesting. But We've been trying um, using like contrasting colors, so it stands mm-hmm. out on the newsfeed more, mm-hmm. and um, experimenting with the size of the video as well. So like maybe if it looks better on mobile, if it's like uh, three to four, like a long shape. Um, but going back to the question you asked previously, um, even like there's some people that actually know AliExpress, but they might just choose to buy from us because we offer like a, a money back guarantee. We have a mm-hmm. returns policy and we're more trustworthy. Like there's some AliExpress like suppliers that actually, well, yeah, like they're scams. And um, we actually 
do honour our return policy because there's issue of chargebacks or whatever. We don't want to get bad rep. We don't want a Facebook like account banned or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't think like dropshipping is going to die just because people know about AliExpress. Yeah, yeah, which might be some people's concerns. It's more like we're probably moving towards building a brand. Like you can't, people can't just like make a really crappy page and drop shit from that. Yeah. That's a look more professional. Have a returns policy. Um, along that line, um, the creatives need to sh- show that as well. So having a logo or looking more legit, like yeah. in the video. So it needs to look very professional. Yeah. So like in one glance on the landing page, I could tell if I could trust the brand or not, right? Yeah. So if you have like a crappy page, but yeah, you're right because like on AliExpress, it has they have sixty day mo- money back guaranteed, but you don't know if they're gonna ship or not. So I'd rather go to someone who already done it for how many times for different customers and someone I could trust. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Also, um, to your other point, you're asking about how we find products and how we know which angles are gonna sell. Mm-hmm. Basically, what we try to do is we pick a market, so a market or a niche, as you would call it in business class. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a group of people that share the same common interest. For example, hunters, they buy the same types of products, mm-hmm. like trail cameras, they buy gun cases, uh, gun accessories, gun attachments, and like different duck calls and whatnot. So you'd pick all these different products for this market, and then you would create video ads with like um, copy that would appeal, like. Like show them what, what the product actually does and how it could solve their problem. Mm-hmm. And then you test each of those products by targeting people who like, let's say, Cabela's or they like, uh, I don't know, the National Rifle Association and so on. <laughs> and then people will just uh, vote which product's the best with their money. So that's how mm-hmm. you find which products are actually going to sell mm-hmm. to your market and which ones are just duds and you throw them away. So you target them based on their interest yeah. and then you find the correct, the right product for for the people that you're targeting. Like, Well, you'd see a mix of different interests. So if you like cosmetics, you like food, it you would like show this up. movie, different things will pop up on your feed related to all of your interests mm-hmm. together. It's not always 100% accurate because it's just an algorithm kind of thing, but... Uh, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty powerful in terms of finding people that you actually want to sell to in your market. products. So for the dropshipping business, you said that you really don't have a, a specific product that you stick to. Do you, how do you like, do you trust your gods in buying this product? Do you discuss it with her? And do you get her inputs on, oh, maybe this product would work. Maybe this is not. Like, do you brainstorm together in terms of the product listing? Yeah. Normally, we see how much it's already sold on different platforms, Mm -hmm. like Amazon, AliExpress, uh, different wholesale platforms. And then if we see that it's got a good sales volume, then we might try it out. So -hmm. it's already proven on these other platforms Mm -hmm. before we bring it over here. So there's really a huge study that happens way before you post something. You cannot just like, oh, I'll buy that and hope and pray that it would work. Yeah. That's, wow. I think it's good to do a mixture of both, like, stuff that you think might sell to your market. Like, say you already have a 
a site set up and like selling to hunters and you see this new product that no one's offering yet, well that gives you a good opportunity to maybe jump on it and uh, be the first one to start selling it because then you would make actually the most. So, but most often than not, like uh, a product that's already selling well on other platforms likely to sell well on Facebook if you can sell it right, like do if a video, right. make the copy good and target the right people. There's also other factors, like do you have like a nurtured pixel? Mm -hmm. So is your pixel already collected like thousands of other purchases on it? Well, if so, then it's going to be more likely to find people who buy a lot quicker than if you were just starting from brand new. You also have like lookalike audiences. Mm -hmm. So you use those lookalike audiences, which are like basically people on Facebook who are similar to your customers mm. or similar with people who engage with your page your video, there's several audiences that you can do it for, but um, you basically target those with the product and then you can start selling it that way. Do you think it's hard for a newbie, like a person who wants to enter the e-commerce or the the dropshipping industry, do you think it's harder now because a lot of people are doing that now, there's a lot of competition, yeah. do you think it's way harder now compared to how many years before? Yeah, for sure. It's already... In one year, it gets the cost has already like risen by at least like I say an average of like five to ten dollars. So what would wow. cost like ten dollars maybe a year ago, or fifteen dollars a year ago? Probably now costs like nineteen to twenty dollars that, on Facebook. Uh, yeah. That's it. Oh my god. Cost per purchase. Yeah. It's cost to acquire a customer. Uh huh. Like yeah. um, CPP. So C like yeah. Say for example, if someone clicks on your ad and then purchases something. That it costs now like what nineteen dollars compared to let's say back yeah. before it could be five dollars oh. even cheaper. But it obviously depends as well on various factors. It's not yeah. Each every product's different. Kind yeah. of. Depends on your retail price, your conversion rate. So your conversion rate's like basically uh, the percentage of people that buy on your site. Mm -hmm. Out of like if like say five out of a hundred visitors purchase, then you have a five percent conversion rate. Which is, to, to get to these sort of conversion rates, you have to do a lot of, like, split testing on the website. So, like, changing different things to see which gets more people to buy. So, it's a lot of, it's a mix between, like, scientific and, like, creative mm -hmm. kind of uh, maneuvering. It's a lot of work, too. I thought you just buy a product from AliExpress, post <laughs> it online, and then people would buy it, like if you just put ads on it. But there's a lot of research happening. There, it's it's more harder now compared to what it was before because of a lot of new tech techniques as well that you have to apply. So for the newcomers, we have a lot of people who's very interested in dropshipping and e-commerce business. What are your tips for success? And also, what what's your best advice to the people who wants to make it in this kind of industry? Yeah, so I'd say when you're picking a market or a niche, pick a niche that you know because that'll give you such an advantage over other people selling on Facebook. Because if you know a niche really, really well, then you know how people are thinking, what they're, what they're buying, for example, because you are in that niche. You probably researched mm -hmm. different sites before you know what's lacking. So I'd say pick a niche that you know because then you you'll know what people are actually looking for and what they actually want. So there's that. And then I would say at least minimum have like $800 to start 
like on the low end, very very low end, eight hundred to two thousand. If you want to be, it, it, at a minimum, basically eight hundred to two thousand. And then I, I would say a good number to have would be like five to ten thousand because when you start like spending ads and you start getting sales, well then it takes if you're not from the US it takes like seven days to get the funds from Shopify mm-hmm. if you're using Shopify or Stripe. And um, but you get charged for the ads basically whenever you hit your threshold. So you could be spending a lot of money on Facebook mm-hmm. but you don't receive the funds till seven days. But then you have to slow down your scaling. You have to basically keep your budget slow and scale mm-hmm. slower so you won't be able to fulfill orders and cut, that will obviously piss off customers. So you need to make sure you watch your cash flow. Kind of. Yeah, I would say don't underestimate like product research. Like You need to spend like a lot of time on that because a one winning product can make all the difference. Like it, I, I would say personally 80-20 is just product research is like really really important because even if you're like the best Facebook ads person like you don't want to be working on a dead product like it's going to be way like better way easier for you as a beginner if it just picks up um so yeah I'll I'll, I'll do a lot of product research do more product research yeah Yeah, because you gotta know what you're selling before you sell it yeah and you don't want it to be too saturated either like there's there's loads of different factors but I'll, I'll make sure you spend like a good amount of time in it. How about customer service? Yeah, so, so we create like the customer service policies, like the return policy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have to train your people on how to handle customers, like if they're angry, offer them gift cards, offer them <laughs> discounts to start oh. off to try and like. So they receive side. phone calls? Uh, emails and phone calls. Yeah. Emails and phone calls. Yeah. So we, we kind of... That's a lot of training when there's an angry yeah. person on the other <laughs> line. Yeah. And we, we definitely try to hire people that are, like, intuitive. So they know how to solve problems on their own without us having to intervene. And they basically know how to... They already have experience doing customer service. You can find, like, tons of people on Upwork, but it's important to find people who are actually, like, dedicated. The right people. Yeah. Because... Yeah, I've had teams in the past, like 10, I had like 10 people at one point that were, yeah, they weren't that good, and they basically, um, yeah, I had a ton of problems with managing them, versus I have one person who was able to do 10 times more work than those 10 people, Mm -hmm. and do more effective job, and have like better customer satisfaction. So I'd say it's more about like the person. It's more... And also you need to have someone, you need to hire someone that you, that understands your business. Even if he's a newbie to whatever you're doing, he needs to understand and love the business like as what you do. You need to guard it with all your heart because it's where you poured your passion and your heart out on that business that you have. You just don't want someone to just ruin it for you, you know? Where do you think this whole remote revolution is going? Uh, I think more and more people are going to want to travel and be able to work as well. I think there was a study showing that millennials now, they don't want, you know, high paycheck. They want better benefits, like, you know, more holiday or more flexibility in the work. Because we're just lazy-ass people. <laughs> yeah. We're just lazy-ass people. No, we're, we're joking. <laughs> we're just like, you know, uh, yeah, I think this generation is going to have it better than, like, you know, our parents or grandparents and... 
um, it's not bad either. Like, if people aren't going to travel, they're probably going to ask for more days at home, do remote work. I think my sister, she does, like, probably, like, a few days, like, at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe three days at home, but she four days in the office. No, three days in the office, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think it's becoming yeah, a trend for sure. Yeah, me too. I really think that this whole thing is really just not a bubble because our parents think that okay after you're done with your journey of working remotely you go back home and get the real job they always say when are you going back home to get a real job like no i'm really working a real job (laughs) i really think that there's a really bright future ahead for the millennials and also for generation z i'm really excited of what's going to happen to the next generation And yeah, I'm really happy that you guys have shared this moment with me to discuss everything about e-commerce and dropshipping. And you also, my listeners, I would like to thank you. And I hope that you have learned a lot from Jess and Matt. And it's time for Rapid Fire Questions. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So first thing that comes to your mind, okay? And don't look at each other because you're going to look at each other. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Tea. Whoa, yeah, that's we, a sign. We, we quit coffee you and quit uh, coffee. it's been for the better. Yeah. You have green tea now. Work at home or working at an office space? Office space. Mac or Windows? Mac. Mac. Friday night Netflix or at a bar? Friday, Friday night, night Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Wine or beer? Wine. Wine. <laughs> what did you answer? Beer. Beer. So why? <laughs> <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Oh, I don't know. Probably night owl. <laughs> or just in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Best place to work as a digital nomad? Asia or Europe? Asia. Best productivity app? Oh, meditation app. <laughs> uh, Google Calendar. <laughs> lifting or yoga? Yoga. yoga. Oh, wait, lifting. <laughs> 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 lifting, what am I saying? Instagram or Facebook? Instagram. Instagram. Headphones or AirPods? Headphones. Wow. Thank you. AirPods. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining me. I really had a great time talking to you. And thank you very much. Thank you. That was fun. Hello again, podcast listeners. Join me every weekend. And if you haven't yet, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me again next week for another inspiring journey in helping you escaping 9 to 5.